as we continue having identified the spirit of the king and the priest associated with the lampstands and with the oil, the light of the word and the spirit being perfected in a people who are a royal priesthood, we then begin to see that for a period of time and during the time that they are opposed, this 42 months or this time, times and half a time, um, they have enormous power and demonstrate great authority and power upon the earth in the midst of that opposition. Now that's very much like Christ who in the three and a half years of His life, once He had been revealed by the Father and by the confirmation by the Father and by the Spirit and lived upon the earth, He was opposed. Uh, they, they tried to trick Him, um, they sent teachers to try to trap Him and so on. The Gospels are replete with the efforts of those who stood to lose their positions, uh, trying to, to discredit the Lord. A notable example would be um, when, they, when He had healed the man uh, and, uh, uh, at, at, at the temple and they wanted to know, they wanted to, the, the, the leaders of the Jews, the religious leaders of the Jews wanted to discredit Him. So they asked the man who had been healed, you know, uh, who do you think he was? Uh, well, first they asked Jesus, uh, why was this man like this? They didn't want to deal with the fact that he had been healed, very evasive. Why was this man like this? But what does it matter? He was blind. But, but, but in, their, uh, in their understanding, um, if they could find a way, they were just, this was a fishing expedition. They were trying to find some way to assail the authenticity of the man's healing and or alternatively to discredit Jesus even if he healed the man by, by saying perhaps he shouldn't have healed him. So they asked him, you know, what was the reason that this man was blind anyway? Whose sin was it? Was it his own sin or his, his parents' sins? How, how did he come to be in this case? Because if you've healed him, you see the argument was, if he was being punished by God for the malfeasance uh, of something he had done or that his parents had done in the fashion of visiting the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, then if you have interfered with that and healed him, then this isn't a real healing. You, you, you're not the Son of God, you're not who you say you are because you let him remain in his sin, I mean you let him remain with the consequence whether of his sin or his parents' sins. And how surprised they were when Jesus said, it was neither. It was neither his parents' sins nor his own sins. But this was done, he was here to, 
to receive and to entertain the work of God. It had nothing to do with his sin or his parents' sins. So <clears throat> I am here to show you the fulfillment of Scripture that says that the Messiah would give sight to the blind, uh, he would set the captives free, and he would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is about the favor of the Lord. Well, they didn't give up. When Jesus moved off, they then found the man and started questioning him and saying to him, well, who do you think he was who healed you? Well, first the man said, well, why are you asking me? Are you wanting to be his disciples? So, so he was, a, a, as the English would say, he was a cheeky sort of fellow, <laughs> evidently. And, uh, and they, they just said, oh, shut up, answer the question. You know, and he said, well, I don't know who he actually is, but this I do know. Once I was blind, but now I see. Now deal with it. So when the Word of God comes in the midst of an unbelieving generation, a people whose hearts were hardened, even amongst those who walked the temple grounds, even among those. In short, wolves in sheep's clothing, if you are the, if they're the leaders, and deceived, the people who are deceived and uh, who are not interested in the truth, seeing they see not and hearing they hear not, neither, they un neither do they understand. Because when you see and you don't see, it's not saying you're, you're not seeing, it's saying you see but you don't see. You hear but you don't hear. Well, that condition is one in which you only see what you want to see and only hear what you want to hear. So, even though the Word of God comes and burns up your arguments and reduces to ashes your vaunted and lofty opinions and restore truth and destroy uh, the reasoning that is based in the foolish and darkened hearts of men, even then they will be despised just like Jesus was despised, and the correlation of the time in which they're doing those things and the time in which Jesus, the time for, not the, the, the number of months or, the, or three and a half years, time, times and half a time, that's intentional. And it may, actually, it may be actual as well, that there will be a time when God is speaking by those who represent the lamp of the Word of God and the anointing of, of the, the, the olive trees. So anointed uh, words coming from witnesses who testify to the end result 
of what God intended to bring about, a man in the image and likeness of Christ who is by definition a royal priest, for Jesus is the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchi is king, Zedek righteousness, and this is from Hebrews 7 where he is king of righteousness and Sar Shalom, prince of peace, the, 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 the royal priesthood. So the perfection of the beauty of Christ in his body is what is now being both revealed and demonstrated. The power with which they speak is likened unto words that are like fire coming out of their mouths and devouring the enemies. And anyone who wants them harm will be killed in this manner. In other words, they'll destroy, they will annihilate the arguments uh, of those who oppose them. And perhaps even there will be those who, like in the days of Paul, uh, when a certain uh, sorcerer um, opposed him, Paul spoke and the man became blind. Jesus healed the blind man to show the condition into which his messages had come. And uh, you've heard me explain this before, when Jesus put, um, uh, he made, a, he made a, a clay out of spitting on the ground and, and working the soil and making a clay and putting it on the eyes of the blind man. In a sense, what came out of his mouth was used uh, to create a clay to put on his eyes, which of course is symbolic because the man was already blind. If you put clay on a, on a man's eyes, on a person's eyes who can see, you'll make him blind So, because it's opaque. So what Jesus was telling him, and of course the reference to his actual condition and the imputed condition of clay on his eyes, that was to tell him that he only saw, he only saw as a natural man, but his existing condition was that he was already blind. So he was doubly blind. He was naturally blind and he was spiritually blind. It's the reverse of that, but it occurred also within the ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent one. So quite literally the parable is how Jesus told a man who was doubly blind he was naturally blind physically and he was spiritually blind. Jesus told him to go and wash in the word of the sent one and he would receive his sight. And of course he did and received his sight. The point being that now you have a hardened people, a people whose hearts are hardened 
who resist the truth. And few among them, few among them are likely to receive the word that comes as fire, that devours false arguments, that burns up works that may be characterized according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as wood, hay and stubble, leaving no place of refuge, no fantasy land in which religious practitioners and false teachers, false pastors, false prophets to hide. But instead of admitting with the intent to change, you see, repentance, repentance is not, as my grandson often says when he does something wrong, oopsies. Repentance is not oopsies. Repentance requires soul searching as to why you couldn't hear God and therefore prophesied falsely. It's not an oopsie. That's a very serious matter that discloses the actual condition of the person who falsely represents God, who says God said and God didn't say. You know, in the Old Testament, that would be a capital offense. You'd be stoned to death. But in a permissive church where there are no standards of God's righteousness and no requirement of upright behavior and and authentic ministry, every man does what's right in his own eyes and by his Twitter feed or his Facebook post, his or her, by whatever means you can simply keep going even though the charge is you falsely represented the Lord. The day, will, the day has come, the day has come when those who are representing the Lord will speak amongst the unbelievers in the house of God and their words will be like fire to chaff, fire to, to wood, hay and stubble. We're watching that happen. We're watching that this happen. Men who have built over a lifetime religious empires, the word of the Lord coming burns it down and there's nothing left in a day except in some cases the finances, but there's no credibility left in a day. This is the day we're in. Anyone who harms them, speaks against them, argues with them, slanders them, who speak deceiving words to them, these who are authentic kings and priests, carrying the spirit of what God intended to put on display as the person of Christ.
in anyone who harms them will come to nothing, will come to nothing, and some will actually die. They will shut up the heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Now rain, of course, is a type of the word coming. And they will be as much responsible for the thing that is called a famine for the word. I cannot begin to overemphasize, to, to, to overstate. There's, there's no way to overstate the power of the people of God, the real sons of God, who have been authentically uh, judged, they've been authenticated by the rod of judgment. No way to overstate the power that they can exercise and will, will exercise upon the earth. Listen, this is not anything that speaks of a defeated people or any of that. They are firmly in control of the, the increments of the revealing of the power of God, down to when they see that people don't want to hear like Jesus did. <coughs> Pardon me. There were occasions when it can be said that Jesus shut up the heavens so that it wouldn't rain because when he was not received in a city, he moved on. When they tried to throw him over the brow of the hill in Galilee, the scriptures say, that he went through the midst of them and he went on his way. And the later commentary on that would be, Woe unto you, Chorazin, woe unto you, Bethsaida, because unlike Nineveh in the days of Jonah, when Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, and yet a greater than Jonah has been among you and you did not repent, so it will be held against you for your judgment. You can't say, I didn't know. But when Jesus moved away from regions, and I mean, the best example is when uh, He said to Jerusalem, Woe unto you, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem! You kill the prophets, you stone those who are sent unto you, your house is left desolate and you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So these witnesses have the power to cause a famine for the Word of God. I'm promising you, this is a whole lot different from these motivational speakers who would convince you that the love of God means you keep pouring out the wisdom of God and the counsel of God on people who treat you 
like us like like a, a, a if you have cast pearls before swine and they cannot distinguish between pearls and acorns so they'll turn and rend you in their wildness because they're unrestrained by the word of god these are about skilled administrators of the grace of god who know the difference between the unbelievers what the bible describes as whoremongers and unbelievers and he who loves and makes a lie, outsider, dogs and whoremongers and the rest of them. The mature church will know the difference. The mature body of Christ will know the difference and will not waste time with quarrelsome, argumentative, unbelieving people pretending to be believers. Look, I'm already at the place where if I'm talking to somebody about the things of God and I see them beginning to form arguments for the defense of what they already believe, I will typically stop talking. I'll typically just pack it up and move on. That's a a world of difference from people asking questions that allow you to discern that their hearts are righteous and they're seeking the truth. I'm never offended by questions from people who are seekers of God. I'm always willing to be present and encourage others to help and to aid those who are present, who are willing who are interested, genuinely interested in learning. The other day, an example of this, the other day I called this one fellow uh, who is a prophet who got all connected up with this prophetic movement that prophesied his second term for uh, President Trump. I called him after the matters had been settled because the Lord told me to call him. And when I called him and was talking to him, I told him that the Lord had told me, that the Lord put him on my heart for like a week. I called him to, to just check on him, see how he was doing. You know, he told me what he was doing in business, he told me what his kids were doing in school, told me what his wife was doing, but he never touched, he never broached the subject of the elephant in the room. I called to extend to him an opportunity to rescue him from this debacle he had gotten himself into. And this isn't a young man, not a word, not a peep. He did not open the subject. I moved the conversation as close to it to give him the opportunity to comment. 
he steered it away as quickly as I got in the borderlands of what he wanted to do, of, 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 of what I really called him about. He would not touch it. I went away feeling somewhat like the Lord might have felt with the rich young ruler who could not, the grace had come directly to him to rescue him, but he couldn't give up the worthless trash that he had come to value as being so important. So they can shut up the heavens so that it won't rain. Eventually, and all the rest of it talks about the lack of rain, meaning um, no word from God. Um, they have power over the waters to turn them into blood. Again, they have. They have. Uh, it's almost like. Uh, Whatever you're going to do, Jesus said to Judas, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. He didn't stop him from doing it. You can turn the water into blood. Of course, this this too is a reference to the plague in Egypt, but spiritually it's a reference to the continuation of shutting up the heavens so that it does not rain. Strike the earth with all plagues as often as they wish. When they finish their testimony, when like Jesus the three and a half years were over, then the rejection of the Word was, became obvious by the fact that the enemy was permitted, quote, to make war against them, overcome them and kill them. And their bodies lie in the streets, of the city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where our Lord was crucified. So again, the connection to the Lord. Of course, uh, there is uh, spiritually Sodom is a place of extreme lawlessness, extreme lawlessness and Egypt is a place where they were made slaves to build an economy for the Egyptians. So where there's lawlessness and an addiction to wealth, to money, where and, and, and analogous to the crucifying of our Lord because He brought them the standard of God's righteousness. Now let me quickly show you something. There are lots of people who say, look, nobody's good, you know, we will overcome the devil, so that means we won't die. Let me quickly read you a couple of things here which prophesied that there will be a slaying of the righteous. This is from the book of Daniel and it speaks about the beast that arises from the earth. So he says, Verse 13 of Daniel 7, I was watching in the night visions, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
and he was brought him near and they brought him near before him then to him was given dominion glory a kingdom that all people nations and languages should serve him all right so in that scene of god's judgment the following is said it says verse 21 this horn that arose on the head of of the beast a proud horn as i was watching verse 21 the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the most high and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom at the very end of the matter the same chapter the following is said verse 26 but the court was seated and they shall take away the dominion of the beast to consume and destroy it forever then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people the saints of the most high his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion and all dominions shall serve and obey him so this passage is telling us much like the lord jesus christ who was crucified and on the third day he rose again and 40 days later uh, he ascended to the right hand of god from which he now has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth in a like progression the two witnesses accurately represent the mature believers exercising kingly authority and priestly righteousness so they're the standard of god's righteousness in the earth and to demonstrate that for the same period of time three and a half years that the false church opposes them and the world agrees with the false church they couldn't abide them anymore and then the beast came up out of the abyss and killed them and like Jesus they first were killed, remained for three and a half days, and then they were taken up into heaven. Verse 12, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud again. And while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is Acts 1 talking about the ascension of Jesus. So this, this shows and repeats the pattern of Christ uh, and how He overcame. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, tenth of the city fell, seven thousand people were killed, people were afraid, and the second woe is passed. <coughs> so here again, this is an analogy that relates to Christ, 
but applies to the mature saints. And both Daniel and the Revelation tell us that God will allow certain ones to be destroyed, to be killed. In fact, Revelation says, who is to go to prison will go to prison. Who is to die by the sword will, go by, will die by the sword. But it is to perfect the witness by which then everything is judged. When after this, after this, the wrath of God begins to be poured out. After this, mankind has abandoned choice because after this, chapter chapter 12, after this, the war that started in heaven continues and Satan, the devil and his angels, fallen angels with him, are thrown out of their place in the second heavens. And it is said, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. This isn't a reference to the people of God, it's a reference to the inhabitants of the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil has gone down to you and he is full of fury because he knows his time is short. But rejoice, O heavens, rejoice those who dwell in the in the earth, reference to the people of God, because this for the kingdom and power and authority of Christ and of His kingdom have now come to the saints. So after this dying and death, out of the heavens the demonic will come some of the demonic, as, and we talked about this before, some of the demonic is in the second heavens, they'll be kicked out. All of the rest of them will be kicked out. Some are in the abyss and some of those will be let loose or, or the rest of those will be let loose, including the beast that is the, the very spirit of the Antichrist that is in the abyss will, will be released. Some of the demonic, in the heavens, some in the abyss, some are on the earth, you know, walking to and fro, going up and down in the earth. And finally, some are chained at specific locations on the earth, awaiting for the time when they will be released by the decrees of God to, to be part of the judgment of God that comes upon the earth four great angels by the great river Euphrates, we've touched that already before. What is the compendium of the picture then? That we're about to be certified in heaven, measured, weighed, certified, the naos of God, will come forth as the mature bride, as the mature representation of Christ, in the form of kingly rule and in the form of priestly anointing and and the power that will come from this body will have the ability to shut up the heavens 
to create famine on the earth for the Word of God will destroy and debunk all this foolishness and twisted theology and even a twisted views of mankind who do not retain God in their knowledge in an environment in which things are rapidly collapsing. This word and these people will be greatly opposed and for a while they will absolutely prevail being clothed with power from on high. But the resistance to them will be let loose as is prophesied in Daniel and spoken of here in the Revelation and as it was let loose against Christ. And they will be killed. Many will be killed. Some will, that's what the scriptures say, if you're to go to prison, you will go to prison. If you're to die by the sword, you will die by the sword. But you will put, this is when the perfection of beauty, that Zion, shines forth. To those who are perishing, it'll be a stench in their nostrils. To those who are looking for the answer, that, uh, that have elude, answer that has eluded them for, for a long time, suddenly they know. Those of the earth yet to be drawn in, the full number of the brethren to be drawn in, they will come in. The opposition will harden under the influence of this demonic falsehood being killed, people will rejoice because you have to deal with that any deal with them anymore. Better that one should die than we should all lose our places. The, the killers of Jesus said. The killers of, of um, Stephen had the same argument. Pattern exists in Scripture. Caught up to God, to his throne, removed from all that is yet to come. And then God begins to empty the heavens of the demonic, empty the abyss of the demonic. These demonic leaders will, together with the hordes that serve under them, will join with mankind in this terrifying end and death spiral to human society. Then, then in chapter 13, the final arbiter of destruction and death will come out, will be revealed. This beast of seven heads and ten horns. That's where we're going in the next broadcast. I wanted to give you a preview by way of a summary of these messages on the judgment of the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God for the purpose of certifying and authenticating the result that God has been laboring to produce on the earth that is consistent with what He intended to establish on the earth when He said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. We'll continue our studies in the book of Revelation. The timeliness of it is unmistakable. This is Sam Solon. I'll talk to you next time.
Bye-bye.